Maybe Brother Arnold could tell us how easy it was to pick curriculum 50 years ago. I was in grade one second year. Nick and Jane. Wasn't it? Rodney Stafford or something. One and two. In the beginning of the 60s, they would not have been there, right? So that was not. That was not so hard. And yet it was hard, right? Because you had books that you didn't, some books. Um, our schools went to the public schools and got extra books, got old books. They did anything they could to get some books to get started. You can back up a little bit here. I would like to do this as discussion, conversation here among us. Um, practical steps might vary among us and might be, uh, there's certainly something that one person can't bring that all together. So I would like us to talk together about that. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is not an option, is it? It's not a preference. It is a conviction. And so this has much to do with our curriculum choices. We do have choices now, even among Anabaptist publishers, but there is, are things like Abeka, Bob Jones, Baptist publishers. Just lately, in Answers in Genesis, I don't know if any of you get that magazine about the, its creation articles, they said, they, had a, had a, they, they tend to group schools in the United States and Canada according to their convictions on creation. But one of the things in one of these articles was that they looked at curriculum and said, okay, based on what it does with Genesis, that's how we're rating it. And they found that many of the large publishers, oh, some of the names like Macmillan and, and uh, on and on, that publish public school curriculum also have homeschool divisions, quotes, where they're putting out something that's friendly to homeschoolers, but there's no change in the content, the evolution and the anti-God thing. That's something to consider as we look at all the choices. What they understood was, actually, a lot of these companies spun off, in publishing terms, you would call it imprints of such and such, but it's a new organization with a new name that's just making a new market for them. And it's not the kind of choice, of course, that we want to make. Now, what are some reasons that curriculum needs to be chosen? You know, we don't face that every day, but occasionally we do. What are some reasons that you run into that? Sometimes a teacher had a certain curriculum at school, or she's taught he or she has taught this before at a different school, and they like it, they're familiar with it, they see benefits. Sometimes, as words, we consider that. Definitely. What else? Do old books ever get out of date? 
I think they do. Even the illustrations, the maps, countries change. You have even the, the uh, material in a book as far as statistics does get out of date. It doesn't mean that we can keep up on a minute-by-minute minute basis, but it happens. Sometimes what has happened to us is we've gotten weary of paying for support material. I think we were using a backup. What was it, Bob Jones, a backup? Record keeping. And every year we needed to buy $10 work or something, $20, whatever it was, it got more and more expensive. But what happens is that they produce a new one about every 10, 15 years. And then we needed to buy a whole new edition because the old workbooks that fit our textbooks are no longer available and there's not much changed in the textbook. So the, the, there are those kinds of issues. Sometimes the existing curriculum isn't working very well. We're, we're thinking about that. How should we improve? I would like to have our brother's question brought up here. How do you relate to teacher comments on curriculum? This is a big one because we are all as board members now, I've taught only history or only uh, substituting. My experience has been on the board for many years. And we don't treat all teacher comments the same, do we? I, I wrote in here, actually in my original notes, what do we do when a teacher complains about curriculum? And I scribbled that out and wrote comments about curriculum because <laughs> I, I just thought we're going to have some teachers here that, that that's not going to sound right. And it's not true, always. It can be true, but it's not necessarily true. What's the first step? Find out what the complaints are she's wanting to use instead and you know, it's a matter of kind of figuring out where this comment is coming from. Mm -hmm. That is true especially when we have a newer teacher isn't it? When we have someone who's taught for quite a while at least I find myself in much more responsive and respectful, not like you're disrespectful of the other, but you think about it more when it comes to that person who has worked long and hard with the books that you have. Investigate whether they know how to teach it. Sometimes they have not read the teacher's manual, and that's easy to do. There are many teacher's manuals, and you have, you have a lot of work to do to get started. Uh, and something else looks easier. But we do need to investigate whether they know how to teach it. And that means that boards have to do a lot of work. Uh, we have to know something about the curriculum to make those kinds of judgments. And it's going to take a lot of time. One way that I've found is to help the teacher consult with former teachers. Very often, that teacher knows what to do when we don't, as a board, know what to do. But wait, we've had 
20 years, 15 years, 10 years, whatever the case may be, of teachers who didn't mention this. So why did it come up now? It's not being critical of the teacher to say, okay, let's go back and see. And maybe that teacher says, well, I've had that problem too. This is what we did, but it gives us another perspective. Is there something we need to change? Is there a good uh, an answer for this? Or is it simply a matter? We have to remember that every curriculum has flat spots, has difficulties in teaching. Every classroom is different. The sets of, of pupils are different. The backgrounds sometimes play into this, what they've learned, what they've had in, in previous grades or schooling. And the teachers are different. But the church school is to go on and on and on and on. And the board is responsible to help that be smooth. Where, again, I say if our teacher is coming through and we're having, you know, two years, what if you did change every... You could do that in some things. You could change every two, four years. Would that be good? Well, probably not. The congregation's experience is to be uh, stable and... So consider that. That's what the patrons want. We have, we have already asked the patrons, asked the congregation about a particular change in something like, especially like lower grade reading. Now, we could do this. We have been doing this. Here's the downside of what we're doing. Here's probably the, you know, this might be the flat spot in what we're changing to, but help us decide. Now, when we do that, obviously, as a board, we maybe don't have a strong opinion. We're willing to just share that, and, and we're willing to stay the same. We're willing to change, but it, it can be helpful, at least in my context of small uh, church. Teachers often favor the thing they learned to teach with. We do, too, in our jobs. It's just the tools that we learned with, that's how we, what we use the best. Oh, maybe you have some more thoughts on on that now. Um, how do you work with the with those comments and how do you show appreciation and help? You should be cautious to not be over well, over whatever emphasis on our preconceived ideas be open. <laughs> We're going to do a lot of learning on the school board. That's the way I find. Uh, we just don't get done. We're just constantly needing to pick up. It's very common for newer teachers to be excited about newer products. And it may or may not be any different in the, in the long run. But we should not, for that reason, look down on newer products. We ought to, we ought to bring in what we can um, one way that the school board can learn about the books to help evaluate those things is be interested in what your children are doing and be looking over their shoulders and, and picking up things from the books that you can. Don't consider the curriculum a professional world apart from your life. It's not really. I think Brother Albert was talking about that. It's not something that you can't understand something that you surely couldn't make a good judgment about. It's something that's every day, 
is on your level. How about student needs and difficulties? How would your dear respond to that in the classroom? Do you adjust curriculum because we have a student or two struggling? What's your, how do you respond to that? I've done it too occasionally. I, I would caution it because it puts that student in his own grade in that subject at least. It kind of singles him out. But he's also singled out, I guess, if he can't get his work and, mm -hmm. and carry on. Mm -hmm. but it, it depends on the future, probably. The most, if, if they can just incorporate this and not make, make it a big deal. This is to help Johnny, and it's all fine. You probably need to consider. I think it's a, it can be a very good idea. Um, one time I was acquainted with a situation where every time this grade, as they came up through, they bought easier books. <laughs> okay, what's, uh, what's that doing? We might be going where we don't want to go. Oh, uh, we had... Adding water to the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and they were all drinking the same Kool-Aid, weren't they? <laughs> now, what... Some, you can have students that have trouble, like we have one right now in fourth grade math, and, and his big problem is when you write down the problem on your notebook, he doesn't get it right. And so his, his problem can't be right, no matter if he gets the right answer or not. He's struggling hard enough to do all the copying. So there was a sister in McBride, or what she, I think maybe. She had made workbooks. She had taken all the grade four math, this was Rod and Staff, and had made a workbook for it that we could purchase. We had actually, Rod and Staff, we had gave her permission to do that for it as a nonprofit matter. And just, that is one thing to mention here. We do that, schools may do that. You can make uh, copies like that to use for a student that where they can write in the answers without having to copy. So it's not okay to sell that, but it's okay to do that. And that, that helped that boy. And he stayed in the class, doing the same work, checking the same answers, but it was what he needed to overcome. There was too much uh, copying for him. I think we want to just, want to stay on what we have. But we could tighten what we have, and we know already a certain student he can grab. Mm -hmm. He doesn't learn. What do we want? We want that, that students to learn. So we better take something else that we've forgotten to be understood, but to be understand. But he could learn easier. But that's not we change our whole from there on we, we take this. This is more just for that one student. What is a practical way to do that? Or just to get you going, talk. We had a student have one that she struggled so hard. So we said, okay, here's math, here's English, here's spelling. These things are really, you, you want this reading to get through life. 
So one year we gave her science and history as just she read the lesson, but she didn't have to do the work. She, she began to push such a snowball that it almost was like she couldn't do anything. And, you know, you look at the home, you look at the teacher, you look at... But finally, there was just ability levels there that... For the first year, she did that. The second year, she began to do the history. The th now, this is the third year. She, she's now in ninth grade, eighth grade. And she wanted to do the science this year. She kept coming back. But we are still doing, now we would give her open book tests. She would do, she seemed to do okay in the lessons, but here when it came test time, 30%. Guess what goes in your report card? You know, the test grade was, we were doing a pattern of 30% of the overall. And does that get you going at all? Or what are more ideas you have like that? Now, I suppose we could just be too easy on everyone, but it has to be board decisions, and we involve the parents. I think there are a number of special situations where you just have to do that. And if you don't, you're not being fair with the child. I'm relating a little to a lad that's in grade one who came from a very troubled first year, and... Uh, it has had an impact on his mental development. If his grade one teacher pushes him too hard, he just goes, crawls under his desk. <laughs> Loves going to talk to the principal. But uh, <laughs> she has just needed to, to scale back on his Reduce some pressure. Repeat the grade. That's just what will have to be. Rather than try to push him beyond his ability, because it just it just stalls when he tries. And could it make him hate school the rest of his life if he was just yeah? He pushed through that. Okay. Oh, one thing. It's important what you said. I did need that blackboard, but I'll do it on my paper now. I forgot. Uh, you can make a very simple illustration, just a bell curve. You know what a bell is. Uh, you know. And what Brother Albert talked about, the professionalism or creeping, what do you want to call it, higher and higher expectations for students, you know what, if we were teachers and the teachers that are here, you want your students to do well. We had a teacher that, that said, class, we're going for, a, for an A average. You understand where you're coming from. But it was once illustrated to me that here is your, your bell curve. This many students might get A's, this many might get C's, and this many might get B's as an average, and that this is reality. So if you put A up here, you're fighting with yourself, you're fighting with the students, uh, you may blame your curriculum, 
we don't make choices on that basis. The teacher is a skilled generalist, and we're asking the students to become as skilled in the general sense as we can, not to, not to be getting sending home A average on every report card. Well, that's a temptation besides, because we're, it's just not going to quite happen. And so that poor person that, that ruined us for the room, you know, that's not a good, you know, posting this and uh, feeling bad. Realism. We could ask this question, how do you deal with teaching everything that's available? One thing that William Schuler likes to say is that now we have an obese curriculum, where before we didn't have that much. Now, can you teach everything that's available? Well, so do we keep heaping it on? It's good. You know, the book is good. What are the rules of how you prioritize your time in curriculum? That helps to make curriculum decisions. What are you focusing on? What did they used to call it? The three R's? Reading, writing, and arithmetic? I remember Arnold's emphasis when I was in school in his class that the Bible and the dictionary is of utmost importance. The Atlas and the Book. Yeah, those four. That's right. And now, it just brings to mind, I got some nice 3D maps. I found a cheap source for them, laminated plat 3D. They had the Rockies, you know, the lakes. And I took them to school, and the teacher said, oh, where will we store these? <laughs> I said, where do you store maps? You know, just thinking about the atlas, how often does it come out? Uh, that, that's important. Now, what I'm driving at here is that we can, by layering on additional subjects, be hurting ourselves in the basics if we aren't careful and not taking time for the... It, what you give your... Your teacher comes into your school and sees this list, and this is what she is going to teach. It, it wasn't up to her. And, and, and some of them can economize their time, can lay it out, budget it is what I mean, and some will need your help. But they don't know what you expect often. So give them pointers about that. We can't go through even in many of our schools, if, if your year is, say, 160, 165 days, you won't get through all the books. At the beginning, you need to ask the teacher, okay, what are you, how are you going to, what are you going to leave out? What's going to work for you? This is what has worked for some others, but they need to be thinking about that. So reduce the load. That's, that's where we are now. Reducing the load in non-essential subjects when we have problems with the basics. Instead of saying, well, maybe we need to get a different kinds of basic. Now, there is something that we can do. And it helps younger grades. Books with workbooks do help younger grades. And I don't know where you like to see workbooks phased out. But from the publisher standpoint at, at our textbook committee, we have generally been thinking that for sure above grade, uh, grade 5 and up, 
should be copying in their notebooks, and that starts probably in grade four. But one thing we noticed in a, in a recent revision of grade two English, the, the author, she said, these children can learn basic diagramming, and these children can, can get farther than the old English two book ever took them in a textbook committee. We said, well, you know, really, you know, we're not so sure about this, because already we get feedback from homeschool organizations. There's different accreditation places that give you ratings on your textbooks that their customers use. And they say that when you get out of Rod and Staff grade 10 English, you have a college level education in English. And so we said, teaching second graders diagramming, really? She said, I'll show you how it's done. And she, they, she wrote, rewrote the book and she made a workbook for it. And you know, after all our questions, they can do it because it's in a workbook. So it's laid out and then they fill in the answers and they begin to get the concept and it actually is helpful as they come to third grade English. So workbooks can help, but they have a downside. We had some teachers that said, a workbook for grade two English? No way. They've got to learn to start setting up a paper and putting down answers. We had the workbook anyway, but you know it just it varies. But that can help to a point. But do we want to go that route in every subject all the way to the top just to try to learn more? Is that the route? Probably not, because we might lose more than we gain. One thing that has happened, as we add curriculum, we have forced our classrooms to be smaller. I don't know how it is for you. What's your average classroom size, do you suppose? Ours has been dropping in the States, for sure. And now when we go to get teachers and they say, ooh, 14 students, that's big. I don't think I can do that. You know, Robert McDowell tells me that down here in southern Ontario, somewhere he taught, was it 35 students with you, Brother Arnold, maybe? No, and we never taught together. I never had that many, but he possibly did. Uh, we're not recommending that, but we have to be aware of that. When we make changes in curriculum, when we increase the load incrementally over the years, keep creeping, we're going to do something. Either the cl classrooms have to be smaller, or we'll be stuck with only being able to get above average teachers. And that's not really right, is it, to do that? Probably not. More of these young people would like to be involved. Or we create more slow students. Apparently slow. So keep that in mind. Um, teach the basics well. Ask yourself that question when the year is too crammed, when the, the teacher can't get it all in the day, well, do we, are we teaching the basics well? Some of these things, I, I think Bible is important, uh, health, 
We like to use those pathway vocabulary books. We really, the children like them. Do we have class time? No. Do it on your own. Same with health. Same with Bible. We, it would be nice to have more Bible class, but even just by doing the workbooks, they learn a lot of things that never come through in family worship or in sermons. Consider what of those items. One thing we realized after a while was that our music workbooks, I think we have CLP, we were not having enough class in music, though, to get done what we wanted to. You just need to keep after that. How is the thing being budgeted? And is it meeting your goals as a board? What do you think about the idea of trying to pick the best curriculum among all the publishers? Let's find the best math or the best English, piecemeal the whole thing together. Can you do it? Has anybody here tried it? We've had some comments about folks that talked, and we hadn't done a lot of that. We have probably our largest section is Rod and Staff, and next is CLP, and then a small amount of, see our algebra is, well, it's Saxon. It was pointed out to us once that especially if you mix things like spelling, English, and reading, there are different patterns in the different books. And when you mix language skills from different publishers, it's you don't gain the best of all worlds. You can have some confusion. You should stick with the same publisher for those kinds of things. Uh, maybe you have some comments about that. One thing we found was that the dictionary pronunciation guides should match what your reading curriculum does. Otherwise, there's confusion there. That's, that's right. Even the methods of study and the layout has something to do with the children learn how to study from our particular publisher, so keeping a major line the same helps in that way. They learn how they're asking their questions, the layout of the, of the study. Now one, maybe a question for the teachers here. Who is the master? The books or the teachers? Whichever one's telling the truth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it whichever one knows more? We tell our teachers, and this has to do with changes in curriculum, you, you are to master the books. That's what we want you to do. You can't... The teacher won't teach the same even if the book's the same. The, the teacher is the master of the book, not the other way around. When it's the other way around, and help your new teachers with this, they do feel overwhelmed by the curriculum. 
and reading the teacher's manuals. And there, you know, there's quite a bit in that teacher's manual that can really be disregarded, and it's okay. But there's a few things it can't be, and help them to budget their attention in that way. The books can't make up for poor teaching. And so the board needs to be on top of that. The book can't make up for poor teaching. We probably, I don't know how it is for you, I remember my teachers, but I don't remember my books. Very few. A few in the upper grades. And shame on me, I remember some teachers with some less than good thoughts. But I don't remember my books that You know, the books were kind of neutral, but the teacher is remembered. So uh, help them and bless them. What about the discipleship portrayed in the books? Does that have any, any effect on us? Should it be considered? Like, as long as we have a Christian school, can we use this book where people are you know, using television or whatever, the, you know, the types of... Does it matter? When it happened, but someone said in a conservative Mennonite setting, two young fellows joined the army because of the emphasis on military and Becca books. Hmm. I don't have any names to back it up, but that's just what I was told. It's really there. Well, I just read those books before coming. Subject you're mm -hmm. with. World history, uh, economics, and uh, civics. I think it does have an effect, and we need to be... There was a time when we used a lot of those books, but actually we were taking public school textbooks, not Baptist publisher books, and we used them, and we knew that we didn't believe... Was it almost worse to be having a religious book now that teaches patriotism and right-leaning politics than it was to have that out-and-out worldly book back then. I, I almost think it is more of a temptation. We need to be careful about that. Um, even just looking, we were using one of Becca's science book in our lineup just because we, there were some aspects in there we wanted, but I got to leafing through it, and, and here we had the, the, the boys, you know, in big striped t-shirts and the pictures and well it wasn't at all what we want it isn't what we have what about that now I did also notice something else in that regard I had uh, you know, one of the light lines papers a while ago from CLE the school paper I, does it come every couple months maybe and there were a couple of good articles in it. The front one was by uh, Jonathan Erb. I think he's from Washington, from the Eastern Church. And then Marilyn Brubaker, who we all know probably, had a very nice story in the middle. And at the end was an article by, I forget her name, Arlene Burt, I think, from the Ephraim Mennonite School. Very interesting because I had just stayed at my cousin's house who they attend that school. My mother was there, and 
and the setting as it portrayed it and talked about their classes was probably something that we wouldn't go to in the casual sense. Uh, they had what they called reading, reading week, and during this week, the principal would call for times of reading, and instantly every child could just read whatever they wanted to in any position they wanted to, anywhere they wanted to. So they had people diving under desks and, and things like this. And, but it was interesting. I had to ask the question, is this going to, is this where I'm going now for direction? And my parents left that very spot 60 years ago. And so now we're going back there. Uh, the television is in use, the radio, all the, the media. Of course, dress is not as bad as some places, but it is what it is. Do those kinds of mixtures, will that have any effect? If we get to the place where the elitism is more important to us than biblical values, then we're going to be trapped in those things when we start appreciating that. I believe we should bring this to a close. Thank you very much for your help. I appreciate it. It's been an inspiration to me. You're dismissed.